Oh, in the last few years, Dr. Jordan Peterson has taken the world by storm in classrooms, sold out coliseums, YouTube video lectures, and five million copies of his best-selling book, 12 Rules for Life. He has four and a half million followers on YouTube and two and a half million followers on Twitter. So what is Dr. Jordan Peterson saying that has captured the attention of so many people all over the world today? Well, believe it or not, even though he's not a Christian, not a Christian, he's packing auditoriums and selling books that say we should reject this whole notion of each one of us doing whatever feels good to us. Whatever feels good to me, I should do and you should affirm that. He says, you should reject this notion of doing whatever feels good to you and instead come back to and live by a Judeo-Christian world view. Yeah, as shocking as it might sound that a Harvard professor would be talking this way. He is. He's talking this way because he says, coming back to a Judeo-Christian worldview is the best antidote for all the confusion and chaos that's going on in our world today. Have you sensed a higher level of confusion, chaos? He's saying the best antidote is to come back to a Judeo-Christian worldview instead of everybody doing what feels good to you and people young and old are flocking to his message with an almost cult-like following which proves that we unlike the other animals and plants in this world are created in the image of God and we know deep inside despite the culture's relentless drumbeat do you you do you you do you and as everyone does their own thing we've got chaos We know, we know that we were created for more than just doing the next selfish urge of what makes me feel good. People are responding to this message. In fact, despite how politically incorrect his message is today, right? This flies in the face of everything else that's being touted. Despite how politically incorrect the message is, the New York Times called him. The most influential public intellectual. They're not calling him an idiot. The most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now. But, you knew there was one coming. But, there's a glaring problem with Peterson's advice. Because even though he points to the wisdom of a Judeo-Christian world view... He guts it of any real power or hope when he says this view, he says it in his books, this view that I'm advocating, come back to a Judeo-Christian worldview, is functionally helpful, even if it's not actually or factually true. You understand what he's saying? In other words, the very basis and bottom line message of his best-selling book is I want you to live as if there is a God, even though we know there probably isn't, because it makes for a better world. Just pretend. So let me ask you, 
Does the approach of just pretending work just as well as truly believing in a personal, caring God who came into this world for us? Well, two years ago, Dr. Peterson found out for himself the bankruptcy of the message that he was touting. When he faced the biggest trial he had faced in his life, his wife was diagnosed with a very rare and aggressive form of kidney cancer. And my heart goes out to him. That would rock your world. And as he struggled to process this and get through it, he became addicted to a sedative that his doctors prescribed him for anxiety and insomnia. And his dependency on this drug and the horrific side effects he went through trying to get off it led him to some bizarre treatments in Russia where he was put in a coma for eight days and almost died. And as news of this trickled out, it shocked his huge fan base who saw him as The can-do, face-down life guy, take responsibility, you can do it. It rocked them and shocked them. Guess what? Living as if Christianity is true is not even close to being the same as knowing and believing it is. Knowing and believing is the only thing that will give you the hope and courage that you need for all that we're going to face in this fallen, broken world. And so turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of my favorite things about the Bible, and you'll see it over and over, is that God is way ahead of us. The Bible often anticipates what someone might say. The Apostle Paul already has an answer for any Dr. Peterson that says, just pretend it's true. You don't have to believe it's true, and it'll produce the same results. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that just pretending is actually pitiful and will do you absolutely no good. It's either true or it's not. You follow along as I beginning verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you're being saved if you hold fast the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Skip to verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Skip to verse 53. For this perishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death where is your victory? Oh death where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Oh, in this great chapter, the Apostle Paul answers some of the most important questions about the resurrection. Here's the first. Number one, how do we even know the resurrection really happened? Oh, listen to me. For the resurrection to make a difference in your life, you have to decide for yourself whether or not it happened. It, it's, it can't be that, well, my mom and dad believe that. My grandmother always believed that. I got some good friends that believe that. That will do you personally no good. You need to wrestle with, you need, one of the most important things you could do while you're alive is not just get married, not have some kids, not get a nice house, not get some good income, not travel. One of the most important things you could do while you're alive in this life is determine who is Jesus. And to help you determine that, did he rise from the dead? Every human being has to decide that for yourself, whether it actually happened or not. It can't just be some inspirational Hallmark greeting card kind of thought that just boosts your positive thinking and gives you a little hopefulness. You'll hear somebody talk, talk that way sometimes. Well, it doesn't really matter one way or another whether he literally rose from the dead. It's an encouraging, inspirational idea. That won't get you through the hardships of this life. Hallmark greeting card inspiration is not enough, which is why Hallmark has to make the same Christmas movies over and over and over because last year's inspiration has withered on the floor and we need a new guy meeting a new girl in Connecticut. It's the same plot over and over. The names have changed. And I'm forced to sit through some of it because of my sweet wife and daughter's inspiration alone. God knows we need more than inspiration. And he's given us more than inspirational. You need to determine for yourself, my friend, whether it actually happened. Because simply an inspirational thought will never get it done. That's why Paul says in verse 3, look at it again. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. There's a transaction. There's some facts. There's a body of evidence and facts. Paul is actually using in verse three, some technical Greek verbs. The original, the the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek, and he's chosen to use some technical Greek verbs in verse three that mean I researched it. I gathered information. I talked to eyewitnesses. 
I pulled it together and I passed it on to you. And for what it's worth, oh, by the way, yes, there were some fishermen that came to faith in Christ, but Paul is not an idiot. If you're sitting here today and you say, thank you very much, I'm an intellectual person. All you Christians are just uneducated people. Be careful. Paul had the equivalent of a PhD education. And he resisted this. In fact, he put people in prison for believing this. And then he changed his mind. He's not an idiot. And you can look through history. Galileo and so many others who have believed this. Pascal, brilliant mathematicians. It's not just uneducated country bumpkins that come to faith in Christ. So, kindly, shut up. There are smart people that believe and there are uneducated people that believe. And whether you're smart or uneducated or in the middle, you're going to have to decide. Do not rule it out because you think no one intelligent would believe this. Paul, Paul researched, examined the evidence, talked to witnesses and says, I am passing this on to you. He says there are 500 Christians, most of whom are still alive. Go talk to them if you want to. How can he say this? Well, here's what you need to understand. The letter to the Corinthians that Paul is penning was written only 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that rocked this world. Let me put that into perspective for you, right? 20 years. This is no different, you guys, than last year when so many articles and documentaries rolled out. Surely you caught it. Documentaries and articles rolled out about 9-11 because it was the 20th anniversary of that tragedy in New York City. And as the books and documentaries and articles were all swirling around us, I don't remember hearing anybody say, 9-11? What? What are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. And how do we even know it really happened? I didn't hear anybody saying that. Why was nobody talking that way? Because it only happened 20 years ago, you guys. And that means that thousands of people saw it, were affected by it, and are still alive today. That's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians. When he says, oh my goodness, this thing did not happen in a corner. It was very public. There are people who saw it who are still alive. Go talk to them if you want to. Think about it. Paul is making a bold claim in a letter. Letters were circulated back then because there wasn't the internet, young people. It has not always existed. You didn't just Google, did he rise from the dead? He's writing and he's making a bold claim in a letter that will be circulated around the Roman Empire. And he is basically saying, go ahead, examine the evidence, talk to any of the witnesses because most of them are still alive. Stay with me. I want you to realize this is so different than every other religion. I grow weary of the media when they finally allow for a moment where if you want to think about God, you want to believe in a God, you want to have some kind of religion, great. But any religion will do because they're all the same. Just pick your flavor. Oh, you guys, so not true. Christianity is in a category Unto itself. Don't hear me saying you have to automatically be, believe, but do hear me saying it's worth investigating. In fact, you must investigate it. 
Because it stands on substance and credibility and evidence unlike any other religion. You say, what are you talking about, Brad? Well, here's what I'm talking about. Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon church. That's a big deal. A lot of people running around believing that. But Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon church, said, Jesus appeared to me all by myself. And three apostles came down from heaven and laid hands on me all by myself. Nobody else was there. Nobody saw it. Nobody heard them. You'll just have to trust me. And they told me to start a new religion. Here we go. Muhammad says the same thing about the start of Islam. He appeared to me alone. I'm the only one that heard him. You'll just have to trust me. Oh, listen to me. The start of Christianity rocked the Roman Empire the way it did. Because there were hundreds of witnesses that began to scatter across the known world. That's why Paul says in verse 20, look at it again. But in, say the word, say it louder. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised for the dead. Again, this is so different. When I talk with people about eternity, life after death, heaven, hell, God, any spiritual realm, I can't tell you how often it is. Here's the basis of what they're believing. Well, I just kind of feel, I just kind of think, wow, you're going you're gonna to base your eternity on that? Christianity is not, Paul isn't saying, oh, listen, I just had a feeling like I'd never had before. Whew. But in fact, Christ has been raised. He is planting a stake in the historical timeline. And he is saying, it's a fact. Check it out. Look at the evidence. And it's worth noting, you guys, all through the New Testament, all the letters of the New Testament, whenever Paul or any other author defends the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they never say, just believe. You'll have to close your eyes and just take a giant spiritual leap of faith into the dark. Never. Never. Now, sadly, I, I, I hear of parents answering their children that way. Well, how do we know this is true? You just got to believe, sweetheart. Don't say that. Yes, believing is essential to coming in faith, but look at your sweet little child or teenager or yea, verily, young adult living in the basement and say, Christianity is based on substance and evidence and it's rooted in history. You should examine it for yourself. As I had young adults that I raised in my home believing this, they went astray because they have their own heart and have to make their own choice. And as they say, Dad, I just have all kinds of questions. How can millions of people be wrong? My own 20-year-old said the same thing that other 20-year-olds say. I didn't say, you just got to believe. I believe it. I I really believe this. Come on, do it. I raised you to believe this. What's your problem? I didn't do that. I said, oh, you've got questions? Because that was what they always said. I just got questions. That's almost always a smokescreen for I want to live with my girlfriend. Or I want to do drugs. Or I want to just live for fast cars. I said, oh, you got questions? Ooh, Christianity has answers and it stands up to scrutiny. Examine it for yourself. Don't just keep having questions. Go looking for answers because there are answers. And I'd leave it at that. You know, early on that journey, I was like, oh, here's a book. Oh, I'll meet with you. Let's do breakfast. No. I just prayed and said, God, get him. That works really well. Right? Oh, my goodness, you guys. 
All kinds of people have made the mistake of examining Christianity, of seeking out, is there any validity to a resurrection, of trying to dig into, is Jesus more than just a nice guy? And it causes them to come to faith in Christ because this is in a category unto itself. It's rooted in history. There's basis and substance. So I just tell you this, do not reject Christianity until you have examined the evidence for yourself. Don't just quote some professor you had in college. Don't just piggyback on some best friend that you think is super smart and doesn't believe. There's evidence. It's rooted in history. It's unlike any other religion. But let's dig into a second question. Maybe you're saying, all right, whatever. Maybe it actually happened. Who cares? What difference would the resurrection make in my life, Brad? Thanks for asking. Short answer. Ready? It changes everything. It changes everything, my friend. It changes everything. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was never designed to create a new religion. The world was filled with religion. Human beings are very religious people. Why? Because we're created in the image of God and we know there's something beyond this world. Religions existed. Christianity came into this world and Jesus came into this world to do something for us that would change our lives forever. And so what are some of the radical, radical changes that take place when you embrace the truth of the resurrection for yourself? Here's the first. Your sins and your broken mess no longer have to condemn you or define you. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Your sins. And whether you want to be honest about it or not, we all have this awareness of it. That it's me. So what's wrong with our world? The best answer you could give is me. We love to point somewhere else. I have this heart. I have this tendency. What is wrong with me? Oh, your sins no longer have to condemn you or define you when you embrace the resurrection for yourself. Listen, Christ's death, his death on the cross made full and final payment for your sins. And his resurrection proves that God accepted that payment. As the only way that any of us can be right with God. That's why Paul says what he does in verse 17. Look at it again. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Oh, you don't want to be living still in your sins. Whether you're here today and you're a believer or not. You're still a sinner. But what he's talking about is when you live in your sins, it's that you don't have an answer for it. You feel condemned. You feel dirty. You feel like you fall short. You know something's wrong. You're still living with that. You're still in your sins. But if Christ is alive and your faith is in him, then God looks holy, 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 high and lifted up God looks at you and sees you as forgiven and clean. Oh, that's a very different way to live. Very different way. You think psychiatry and psychology and therapy 
basically exist, you guys, because of our awareness of sin. Either our own or how we're being sinned against by people. We live in a world that's broken and filled with sin. And people don't know what to do with this guilt. Guilt is one of the number one things that people wrestle with. What do I do with this guilt? What do I do with this guilt? You can drink enough that you don't feel it anymore. You can amuse yourself enough that you keep it at bay. You can work so hard and long that you don't think about it as much, but the average person is aware of and feels condemned and guilty, guilty, guilty. But if Jesus is alive and your faith is in him, oh, then you have the assurance and the peace and the joy that regardless of who rejects you, regardless of who still condemns you, The God of the universe accepts you, forgives you. You may have a mom, a dad, a best friend, a coworker that says, I'll never forgive you. That's hard. It's okay. When you have the assurance that God himself has forgiven you all your sins and sees you as clean, forgiven. Oh, you live very, very differently. But let me show you another difference the resurrection makes you got to embrace it for yourself. But when you embrace the truth of the resurrection for yourself, number two, your fear of death no longer has the power to rob you of hope or keep you from really living. Oh, the climax of this whole passage, you guys, is probably the most famous part of this chapter. The climax of this whole passage is found in Paul's two rhetorical questions in verse 55, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Those are rhetorical questions. Because once you know Christ, death does not have the victory over you. And though you will face death, the stinger of death has been removed. The horrific fear of what next? What lies ahead? Where am I headed? And am I okay? Removed. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In other words, the resurrection is God's solution to our greatest fear, which I hope you realize no matter how modern we become, no matter to what level of medical and technological advances we achieve, death is still our greatest fear. It's still our greatest fear. It's it's why 60% of Americans have no will. Do you realize that? Super dumb. Why don't they get around to doing that? They don't even want to have to acknowledge that they're going to die. They don't want to sit at a table with an attorney and talk about death. And so they leave their family with a horrific mess where the government takes almost all of it. And they could have solved that by having a will. They don't. I don't want to think about death. I don't want to deal with death. I don't want to acknowledge that that is coming. Listen to me. Yes, medical advances. Yes, technological advances that will simply keep you alive longer. Now they can put you on a respirator. Now they can shock you back to life after a drug overdose and bring you back again and bring you back again and bring you back again. I've got two daughters that are ER nurses and they call them frequent flyers. People that just come in. They almost died again, but they were brought back to life. They almost died again, but they were, brought, they, they were dead for you know, so many seconds, but they brought them back. They brought them back. There will come a day that you will die and you will not come back. And the respirator 
will not keep you alive. These things are just keeping us alive a little longer, you guys. But death is coming for all of us. And it still terrifies human beings. It's still our greatest fear. Ernest Becker, the Pulitzer Prize winning anthropologist, not a Christian, wrote a book titled The Denial of Death. Did massive research on this. Wrote a book titled The Denial of Death, where he proves how, how human beings wrestle with our fear and refusal to acknowledge our own mortality. And in his book, Becker shows how people are unbelievably controlled by their fear of death. And he calls this universal fear, quote, quote, the rumble of panic underneath everything. It's this rumble, the rumble of panic underneath everything. In other words, no matter how wonderful any particular moment or season of life might be, and we do have those moments, praise God, no matter how wonderful any particular moment or season of life might be, there is still this rumble of panic underneath. Just this past week, I was chatting with a new friend I've made in the grocery store. I didn't know anything about him. I just see him, see him, see him, and I'd learned his name. But we had the longest conversation I've ever had with him. And he began, surprised me, he began to tell me what he has. And it's what everyone is chasing after. And it's a lot of what everyone is chasing after. And he said, basically, my two sons are going to get it all. I'm just doing it for them, and I'm leaving it all to them. And as I asked more questions about his sons, just making conversation, he's like, oh, just this last week, my one son, who works in a hospital, texted me and said, oh, dad, we got to talk. I got to call you. We got to talk. Someone just died in my arms. The rumble of pan. It so rattled him. He knows what his dad is leaving him. He knows what's coming his way. He knows what is his and it didn't change. It didn't matter. It didn't relieve that moment. Someone just died in my arms and I've got to talk to you. He said, oh, my son is very scientific because he's in the medical field. He doesn't believe there's anything after this life. But when someone dies in your arms, you're looking for some answers. You're looking for some comfort. And then this man himself added, and last week, my brother died in his sleep, went to bed, never woke up. This man has what so many people are chasing after, and it doesn't solve the rumble of panic underneath. What's next? Where are we headed? Death, death, death. In a more amusing but no less disheartening way, the filmmaker Woody Allen once said, quote, it's hard for me to enjoy anything because I'm aware how transient things are. There are times when you think, my God, life is sweet, right? Every now and then you decide to have family night and play a board game and no one fights. Oh, it all worked out how I thought. Every now and then you plan a vacation. We're going to go here. We're going to stay here. And then we're going to do this. And it actually works out. Oh, I think I have three examples of that in my life, right? Every now and then you do have these moments of, my God, life is sweet. But it doesn't last, does it? Life's just not that way. He says, and thoughts of mortality are in abeyance. 
you know, watching the Marx Brothers or a Knicks game or listening to great jazz, you get a great feeling of ecstasy. But then it passes and the dark reality of life starts to creep in. Often that dark reality for me comes in an email or a text. I don't know about you, right? I can just be happy, 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 and I get a text that changes everything. Or I see an email. Or I glance at the news. Or I talk with a friend, right? There's just regular reminders that if you don't have an answer for the biggest problem of death and you don't have some kind of hope that's fixed outside of this world, if the only thing propping you up is what's in your bank account or how things are going or what your health is today, that can change dramatically from one year's annual physical to the next. Sometimes from one month to the next, we just had a scan and all was good. And in 30 days, this malignant tumor showed up and took over. It can change so quickly. And if you don't have an answer for death, this rumble of panic underneath everything, nothing else in this world will keep you propped up. The world tries. Like, like one of my least favorite things on TV are sitcoms. Like, oh my word, so stupid. Don't even tell me if you have one you watch because I can't keep thinking well of you. So keep that to yourself. <laughs> but if you ever noticed, it's like, the only thing that's got any, anybody laughing is that there's a laugh track in the background going, oh, so that you'll know, oh, that was funny. Because usually it's really not. It's just not funny. Because they can't think of enough funny stuff. I listen to secular radio. I hope you'll still listen to me. And so often in the morning, the DJs, I, I'm convinced that someone has told them, you must be funny. They're trying to be funny. And they're laughing a fake laugh. And I'm driving along thinking, it's not funny. Just play another Journey song, please. That's not, I'm not listening for you to try to amuse me because you're not funny. It's not enough. Whether it's amuse myself, I need to stay laughing. Whether it's abuse alcohol, I need to feel nothing. I need that warmth around me. Or whether it's abusing a prescription drug or whether it's chasing, chasing, chasing. I don't know how you might do it, but our world is filled with ways to try to keep this at arm's distance and not think about what's actually coming death. But when you have embraced the resurrection of Jesus for yourself, you don't have to try to laugh. You don't have to abuse alcohol. You don't have to chase after all these things. You have hope because you know this life is not all there is. And my future is based not on me or anything I'm doing, but on him who does not change. And God said, Paid in full, accepted, yes. So my standing and where I'm headed next is based on Jesus who never changes. That'll help you sleep good. But let me give you a third, a third implication. When you embrace the resurrection for yourself, oh, here's what happens. Number three, you'll start living with a new sense of purpose. You realize human beings, we're the ones that want to know, but why? Why am I here? And why do I do what I do? And does any of this matter? So I'm doing some things, but does it matter? Where's it going to go from here? Who's going to get all this? Vanity is what we struggle with. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes uses the word like 38 times. Oh, vanity of vanities. We're the ones that think, is there any real purpose? What is life actually about? And that's what verse 58 is all about. Look at what Paul says in verse 58. Therefore, 
Whenever you see a therefore, it's in light of everything that went before. So he's saying, in light of everything I shared with you in this chapter, and it's a long one, it's a good one, who Jesus is, what his death accomplished, what his resurrection proves. Therefore, in light of this, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You've got a reason to live. You've got purpose and meaning. Oh, listen to me. Without the resurrection hope in your life, your life can just wander and stagger from one cheap sales pitch to another that the world offers. It's this. It's this. It's this. It's this. Trying to get satisfaction and trying to find some kind of fuel that will keep your heart hopeful and keep you moving forward and keep your life running smoothly. And, and this, you'll see this all through history. I love music, so... Oh my goodness, all the way back in 1965, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones saying, I can't get no. And that I do believe the man had pretty much everything everyone's chasing after. If you're not satisfied, oh dear, what's hope for us, Mick? But you just see it get repeated. It was in 19, I think, 87 that YouTube, right? Their biggest hit was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't well, gee, guys, you got all the stuff that we're all chasing. What do you mean? And I'm so old, I don't even know what Q102 is playing now. But some of you young people think right now, whatever that song is, because they're going to keep writing them. The human heart keeps feeling this and sings about it. This didn't satisfy. This isn't it. What is it that I'm missing? What is it that I'm actually looking for? Let me tell you, Jesus Your heart longs to be in a right relationship with your creator through his son, Jesus Christ. Your heart longs to know that someone actually loves you as you are and will never leave you and forsake you, will never abandon you, is faithful, faithful, faithful to the end and has actually solved your biggest problem. That's what your heart is longing for. You'll start living with a, a new sense of purpose. It's the resurrection of Christ. Resurrection of Christ, validating the person of Christ that your heart longs for. And that, when you embrace that truth, you guys, it puts everything into perspective like that puzzle piece that got knocked off the table onto the floor. So that the rest of the puzzle makes no sense. And you can't even tell what you're working on. And then your 10-year-old daughter sees it on the floor, picks it up, plops it into the corner of that puzzle framework. Oh, and everything starts to make sense. And colors begin to shape up into vivid images. And even some of the pieces that you thought were random take on new significance. Look at me. One piece can make all the difference. That's why the Bible calls Jesus the chief corner stone. That weight bearing, weight bearing, essential peace that causes everything in your life, everything in your life to begin to make more sense. Listen to me. 
If you don't believe in the resurrection, your biggest problem still hangs over you and confusion about why you're here and whether doing anything really matters will continue to haunt you no matter what you achieve because that rumble of panic underneath will just keep robbing you of any real lasting joy. Listen to me. Jesus rose from the dead so that you could put that panic in its place once and for all. He rose. He lives and intercedes for you. And he's coming back. My biggest problem has been solved and my greatest fear has been conquered. That's all yours in Jesus Christ. Christianity, you guys, is not dressing up, going to church every Sunday and thinking we're better than other people and then trying to live a good life. That's what the world thinks sometimes. We are the worst of sinners just like everybody else. But praise God, if you know him, you are willing to admit it and say, oh, God, have mercy on me. And you've been rescued. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted despite who you are. It's all about who he is, not who you are. Oh, my goodness. That is so freeing. And that gives you purpose and peace and security and assurance. Unlike what's in your bank account. Unlike this year's annual physical that could change by this time next year. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. What about you today? I hear people say all the time, oh, Brad, I just wish I had faith like you and Christians do, but I don't. Let me push back for a minute. Every human being exercises a measure of faith. Do you realize that? We all have faith. The question is where you're placing that faith. Sometimes it might just be yourself. I grew up in a broken alcoholic home, you might say. I'm never going to trust anybody again. I'm going to do it. I'm going to depend on nobody but me. Well, guess what? There's your faith in you. You are trusting in something, something someone told you, something you read, something you choose to believe. Even like when I talk to people and they say, well, I just kind of think, I've just kind of always felt that's belief. You are choosing to believe something. Sad part, sometimes based on absolutely no evidence or substance. We are not the crazy ones, my friend. You are. You are if you've never taken time to say, why are There's so many Christians. Why do I see such changed lives? What is going on here? And never mind the church. I grow weary of you. Well, I was hurt at the church. Yeah, me too. I've been hurt by you. And I'm not here still for you. I'm here because guess what? Jesus has never hurt me and never failed me and never left me. I'm not asking you to examine the church. The church is filled with sinners. Yes, You could get hurt. I'm asking you to examine Jesus. Oh, do not walk away from Jesus because of his followers. He had Judas. He picked 12 and one of them was Judas. Praise God, the rest of the disciples didn't say, oh my word, if that's what's going on, I can't believe this. They still believed it because of Jesus. Come to faith in Christ. So I'm not even asking you right now to put your faith in Christ. I'm asking you to be honest about where you already so fiercely have placed your faith in someone 
or something else. And I'm asking you to put your faith in someone better who loves you, who lived for you, who died for you, who rose again and is coming back. Today, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. When he returns, my friend, his arms won't be open with an invitation. He's coming to judge those who would not believe. Today, today, I want you to bow your heads as we close. Oh, listen, if you'd like to become a Christian today and you'd say, you know what? I'm ready to make a decision to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus for myself. Just pray this simple prayer after me. You don't have to pray it out loud. God sees your heart. Oh, God, I know that I am a sinner. I am aware of my sinfulness. I know I could never do enough good. I know I could never save myself. Thank you for sending your son to do for me what I could never do. To be for me what I could not be. Thank you that he died in my place. On the cross with my sin on him and none of his own. I put my faith in him. And I surrender to him. Trusting in him and him alone. Come into my life. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Oh, listen, if you prayed that today, or if you're still say, saying, I, I got more questions, I'd love to talk to someone one-on-one. You can text us, Easter, Easter Steps to 94000. Tell us if you put your trust in Christ, because we'd love to help you take those next steps. What does it look like to be a believer? How to follow him? How to understand this better? Or if you just still have more questions Text Easter Steps 94000. Now, if you're not techie like me, you say that overwhelmed me, that whole concept. There's paper cards at the offering boxes. And there's some of them at the welcome tower. If you just want to fill out a card and say, I've put my trust in Christ. I want to talk to somebody. I've got more questions about all this. I want to talk to somebody. We would love to continue this conversation.